0: that you have a lunch appointment in Tsim Choi Choy today at 1 p.m. And you, you don't drive a car or you've decided you'd rather leave your vehicle here uh, and you need to catch Minibus 6X so that you can make it on time because for whatever reason the preacher has gone long or you've spent too much time talking here. And so you've got a certain amount of time to make it over to... Some restaurant in TST. I can't think of any off the top of my head. So just pick Spaghetti House, the big one. Uh, terrible choice, but that's beside the point. So you're, you're making your way over and you realize, oh no, I'm in a hurry. And you get in line for minibus 6X, you know, the express one to TST, to Hankow Road, and all is going well. And you realize there's just enough space for you to get the last seat on the bus, All is good in the world. You're going to make it. You're going to get there on time. And then out of nowhere comes somebody from the minibus 6 line and cuts in front of you and the doors close and off goes the bus. How do you respond in that moment? Because a great injustice has happened. You have been robbed of your seat. We in Hong Kong queue up in an orderly fashion, do we not? No, we don't. We keep saying we do and ride the, K- the MTR and you'll find out we don't. How do we respond when things don't go our way? Let's expand that maybe a little more serious. You're dealing with relationships where people have treated you poorly or you, far be it the thought, have been in the wrong. And you know something needs to be done to reconcile that relationship but it's hard. How do you respond to people that make you uncomfortable? How do you deal with difficult situations? Or you find yourself, one more case study, you find yourself in a situation where you're not sure you'll have a job after this week. Or you're not sure where your next paycheck may come from or how you will provide for your family. There is great need And you were supposed to be the breadwinner. You were supposed to be the financial security blanket, let's say. And suddenly that has been torn away. Your stability is gone. And you don't know where the next meal will come. Or you don't know who to talk to. Or you don't know what's going to happen next. We find ourselves living in a world where any of those situations happen every day. We find ourselves living in a world of brokenness, of confusion, and of constant struggle for the proper response. One more case in point Does the fact that Starbucks no longer puts snowflakes on their cups really matter? No, it really, really doesn't because if you really want to Christianize Christmas, Jesus shed his blood for us and blood is red and the cups are, so there you go. But we have lost the focus of what's truly significant and begun focusing on these little things. And we've gotten ourselves up in arms over things like losing a seat when who knows, that person might have been rushing to the birth of their first child. Or to the deathbed of their dying loved one. And we're ready to scream at them a new one. Now, I fully confess, I got cut off driving home yesterday and I did not respond in the way that I should have. We struggle with these things called responses, don't we? Today we get the adventure of continuing to look at how God writes our love story. Because here's what I can guarantee... Ruth didn't wake up married to the man she was married, an Israelite of all things. Because by the way, just because Israelites weren't supposed to associate with Moabites, don't think that Moabites liked Israel a whole lot either. It went both ways. Okay? So she married out of her family clan. The Israelite, Elimelech's son she married, also out of his clan. And it's all this confusion. Then you got to think, even at that point, she's like, this isn't quite how I... ...pictured my life. Maybe some of us have said that. But she begins to build this bond. We're not told why, but she has this very, very strong bond with her mother-in-law. Those are one of the first times sentences like that are ever said. (laughs) Because that doesn't always happen in families. Mother-in-laws and daughters-in-law don't always have a strong bond. But in this case, it did. For whatever reason... We know the reason why as we follow this story. But as we got to the end of chapter 1, we found the struggle. You see, Naomi and Elimelech, her husband, the mother-in-law and the father-in-law, had chosen to tell God, this is the way you're going to solve the problem of famine and of relational needs, and and this is what we're going to do, and we're going to go toward Moab. Moab. Now, God had not, as I told you last week, specifically forbidden marriage to the Moabites. He just told them, you're not supposed to associate with them. They're not allowed to worship in the temple. And there was a long list of prohibitions. And stay away from them because if you go toward them, you will be drawn in to worship their false gods. And that had happened at one point and it cost 24,000 Israelites their lives. Because they had adopted the pagan, the unchristian, the non-God-fearing ways of the people they said they wouldn't be influenced by. My wife and I have been talking a lot lately about this idea of compromise, of which things do we really stand firm on and which are issues that we make about a Christmas-colored coffee cup? And how do we know the difference? Well it always starts in the same two places. We open up this and we ask God through the power of the Holy Spirit to guide us and he promises he always will. When he doesn't promises that we're always going to like the answer. But his answer is always the right one. And so I'm going to pause for a minute and I'm going to do some advertising. You can notice up here there are yeah, so I'm saying five Bibles. <laughs> no, don't clap. The tones are all wrong. It's just, I, I, I'm learning and trying. Anyway, there's five Bibles up here. I am a staunch believer that in this broken world we find ourselves in, we start at the Word of God. And we start in prayer. Read my Twitter feed. That's what I posted yesterday. The prayer isn't our last line of defense. It's our first. Okay? That's Oswald Chambers. I didn't say that. I'm not that smart. But in doing so... Sometimes we we say, but Mike, you've got access to all these books, and I do. I am very blessed. The church has allowed me to study and provided me the resources to do that. But if I could give you one resource, because you don't want to go spend all the money that we have spent on study libraries, I would give you a good study Bible, a good study Bible that helps you understand what some of the verses and the books of the Bible mean. And when I was in grade 8, I was 12, and my dad handed me a red, leather-bound, really good-looking Bible. And it said on the outside of it, NIV Study Bible. I was 12 years old, and it had cost him, I remember, 78 U.S. dollars, which was a lot of money then, and it still is today. And then I thought about it, and why did I think that was so expensive? It's a Bible! But anyway, for the next... Long time, quite a few years now, uh, I've been using that Bible. And you'll still see that Bible in my office. Now the pages are falling out. Uh, It lays flat, but it's got notes of me writing uh, when I was 12, when I was 15, when I was 20, when I was 30, and all of that. And it's been time for a new one. Well, this year the Zondervan company uh, redid the NIV study Bible and they uh, got the help of a guy named D.A. Carson, a a wonderful uh, Christian academic professor and pastor and teacher uh, to enlist a team to rewrite the study Bible. And so we at AIC, the elders and I were talking and we feel we'd like to help anyone that is interested in studying God's Word to have access to that. So we're going to subsidize a bit of the cost of these Bibles. Not much, because if you can't afford it, you talk to me and we'll make sure you get one. But you can order these Bibles. Book depository means free shipping. We'll do all the delivery for you. You just show up at church and we'll pass them out and whatnot. But those are there for you to take a look at after church. But then I'm going to go a step further. We're going to be continuing to look at passages in Scripture over the next year that we might not always look toward. Uh, In the springtime, toward the end times. And what does the Bible say about the end times? Then we're going to jump into Isaiah around Easter time. Not my son, but the actual book of the Bible. Then we're going to look at the full story of King David. And there's a lot there that we skip by. I would love for us to have the access to study that together. But further than that, I'm going to invite you on a journey to read through the Bible with us over the next season of time. Maybe you've already done that. Do it again. But then on Wednesday nights, come join us for prayer and Bible study where we wrestle with the passages we've read for the past six days. And we discuss and we apply those to our lives every Wednesday night as we read through the Bible. Now you don't have to, I fully understand, this is mine, this is the one I got. I tried to preach with this last week and my hand hurt. It is a big Bible. So it's not ones that you necessarily carry around, but it's ones you keep next to your bed and you read before you go to sleep every night and when you get up in the morning. Or if you've got a study place at your dining table, you keep them there and you use them. You know, there's the the Bible app for when you go out. Just use that, that's great. But I want to encourage you, grab a good study Bible and mark it up. It's just not the same digitally. It's just not the same to put the notes in. A good stu- Now, some of you disagree, and that's okay. Uh, any other book and I would disagree. But with the Bible, consider ordering one. The costs are right there on them. But it's worth it. Because when we come to questions like, how do I respond when I get cut off on a minibus and I'm late? The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives... And the application of his words help us know how to live and know that we are not alone. At the end of chapter 1, we find a vast comparative difference between two ladies. Naomi, the Hebrew, the one that should have known better. Have you ever said that about someone else? They should have known better than to make this decision. Yeah, well, sometimes we should also think about our own selves and that. But we all should know better at different times. Naomi, the Hebrew, should have known better than to make these series of decisions as we talked about last week. And she finds herself at the end of everything. And she's just depressed, for lack of a better word. And she says, change my name to bitterness. Call me Mara. I don't want to even be called Naomi anymore. Life is just too much to bear. In parentheses, this isn't fair, God. This isn't what I signed up for. Well, you did go your own way. But God was already working to draw Naomi back to himself. God was already working to demonstrate his sovereign power over a broken situation and how miraculous love would come out of that situation. We also found last week the pattern of Ruth. Ruth, in the midst of insurmountable odds, as an alien... AND NOT AN ALIEN FROM A FOREIGN PLANET, from FROM A FOREIGN WORLD, SHE WALKS INTO BETHLEHEM, INTO THE CITY OF THE HOUSE OF BREAD, WHICH WOULD LATER BE NAMED THE CITY OF DAVID. STAY WITH ME FOR TWO MORE WEEKS AND YOU'LL FIND OUT WHY. BUT SHE WALKS INTO THAT CITY KNOWING THAT NO ONE THERE WAS SUPPOSED TO WELCOME HER. THEY WERE SUPPOSED TO KEEP THEIR DISTANCE. THEY WERE NOT SUPPOSED TO TREAT MOABITES WITH ANY SORT OF CARE AND COMPASSION. And she knows she's walking into this situation. But she does it anyway. In fact, she says to Naomi, your people will be my people, your God, my God, and I will worship him. He will be my God. She chooses a different response. And so as we move our way into chapter 2, we see how this action of choice of attitude and the sovereignty, the control of God at work in situations we don't always understand can point people back to the glory of God in Him writing the love story instead of us. If you wonder what I'm talking about, maybe Peanuts can help us here. Uh, if, you, if you know Peanuts... Charles Schultz, uh, the other Schultz, uh, had a character in Peanuts named, you remember him? Linus, thank you. And by the way, I think this movie opens at Christmas time. Uh, I don't know if it's any good. But anyway, uh, the girl, Lucy, right? Yes, Lucy offered psychiatric help that was always boiled down to just get over it, it seemed. But Lucy, for a nickel, you know, this is a different time, would offer psychiatric help. And Linus goes to Lucy and he says, I am in sad shape. My life is full of fear and anxiety. The only thing that keeps me going is this blanket. I need help. Do any of us find ourselves in situations like that? Seems Naomi did. Naomi wasn't yet at the point where she was crying out for help, but her security had been ripped away from her. Her husband, her sons were gone. And this is a patriarchal society. They were the ones to provide. They were the ones. And she's having to crawl back to Bethlehem, knowing that the people would talk about her and wonder, why did she go? Why would she choose to go where God said not to? She needed help. Ruth, on the other hand... Look at what Ruth does. We get to verse 2, and Ruth says this. She says, Ruth, the Moabite, the author of this keeps reminding us that she was not an Israelite. The Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. And then she goes on to say this. So she went out. Or the Bible tells us this. And she entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. I love this phrase that comes next. As it turned out. Surprise, surprise, surprise. She was working in a field belonging to Boaz. Who was from the clan of Elimelech. Then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. And he says, the Lord be with you. And the people said, almost like what they say often in church today, and also with you. And that's what they said. But Ruth, what we don't get is Ruth took a dramatic step. And we understand that, that she was stepping out in faith, trusting that the people who remember what we learned in Judges, this was a time when the people, this was the time of Judges where people each doing what they saw fit, what was right in their own eyes. They were not seeking after God at this point in time. This was the era of the Judges. But all the way back in Leviticus, the law told us to do this. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. What shall you do? You should leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. A word we've been talking about a lot lately at AIC. For the alien. For the foreigner. I am the lord your god and what's the underlying thing i care for the marginalized so what does ruth do ruth says i'm going to go out and glean and she steps out in faith and says even though the people of god don't seem to care much about him i am going to step out in faith and trust that someone will follow the law of god I'm going to sub- she didn't know how this would go and history teaches us that often these fields were very dangerous places for women these were not safe places they could be raped they could be tortured or they could be abused in many ways but in this case Ruth goes out and she shows up at the field of a man named Boaz that by marriage she happened to be related to. And in that culture, when you were related to someone, it meant a whole lot. And we'll talk more about this as we progress. But it was God's providential, God's plan at work. And he continues to work that out. And look at what happens, or what we learn. You see, Ruth walked by faith. She didn't know how it would turn out because here's a conflicting thing. She's a Moabitess. So they could treat her horribly. And likely they would have. Likely they would have talked about her, uh, treated her poorly behind her back, and she wouldn't have been safe. But her mother-in-law needed to eat. And she needed food and a way to help her mom, her mother-in-law. And so she goes out. She trusts that someone will do what the Bible, what the Torah taught. And she goes out and finds the field of, Mo, of Boaz of all people. Sometimes the hardest thing we do is taking the right step in faith, even though we don't quite know how it will turn out. Maybe at work you've been given a decision and you know the right path to go on, but it's difficult. Would you walk by faith in that, knowing that the Lord promises to protect you and to guide you in all righteousness? Or do we try to fix it ourselves and solve it in our own way, shape, or form? What about that family member that just needs help, but we don't know how it'll turn out if we if we we seek to fix that relationship that we haven't worked on in so long or church member or just friend, what will happen if I step out in faith and do what I know is the right thing to do? God says, you can trust me. Or what if I know God has called me to more as we talked about last week and I know the right thing to do. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you but you have to walk by faith he won't force us to go it's the amazing thing of free will he allows us to choose whether to obey or not for ruth she stepped out trusting that somehow she would be provided for and she walked by faith interesting thing happened next as we move down to verse 10 She has now met Boaz. Boaz has spoken to her. Uh, Commentaries believe that uh, Ruth was not hard to look at, that she was a beautiful woman, and that might have helped why Boaz noticed her. But in whatever the case may be, he still noticed her. I believe it has much more to do with the sovereignty of God than how good-looking she was. Now, she might have been beautiful. That's great but that's secondary to the fact that she was stepping out in faith, going where the Lord was leading. God is still in control of life. Don't miss that. And so at this, she bows down and Boaz has now told the the, the, the workers to make sure that Ruth is taken care of. And not only that, but that she's fed and he's caring for her, not because he has to. At this point, he doesn't know he's related to her. He doesn't know anything about this woman. And she faces, well, she knows it's a Moabite, or he knows it's a Moabitess. And she looks at him and she says, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you would notice me, a foreigner, an alien? And isn't that an amazing picture of the grace of God? That we who are foreign, our sinful nature makes us foreigners that the master associates himself with his servants and that he shows love to this foreigner. Ruth, at this point, he, he has no, she has no idea that Boaz has commanded his workers to be generous, but she trusted his word and found that God had met her needs through Boaz. Flip ahead a little bit to the New Testament and think about Jesus. Jesus came to this earth as a servant, right? That he might save us and make us part of his family. He shared with us the riches of his mercy and love, um, Warren Wearsby says, and the riches of his grace, the riches of his wisdom, and the riches of his knowledge. He invites us into all of that as his family. We undeserving foreigners, aliens, sojourners become members of the family of God and have his inheritance at our disposal. And that's what we're seeing progress here in Ruth. That Boaz, even before he knows anything about her, begins to care for her. Ruth, before she knows what's going on, she steps out in faith. And Boaz replies, this is what I know. I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you didn't know before. Boaz saw something in Ruth. And while he might not have known everything about her, he knew that this was a woman of mighty character. And that's the kind of woman he wanted his workers associating with. And ultimately, it's the kind of woman he wanted to associate with as we get to the end of the story. But for Ruth, Ruth had to learn something here too. For it is by grace through faith that you have been saved. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. She hadn't done anything to earn the favor of Boaz. He was impressed with her, but she didn't earn that. God had opened the eyes of Boaz to what needed to be done. But see, when we're given the offer of grace we sometimes respond in a couple of different ways we're invited to accept the grace that has been got, given to us as a free gift right but often when it's offered we we do a couple of things that say i don't i'm not ready f- to accept full grace what do we do Well, we we tend to choose shame. Oh, I'm not worthy of this. I don't deserve this. I couldn't possibly accept this or live in the grace and the freedom that God is offering me because I am too broken and I deserve everything that has happened to me. Well, you are, in one sense, right. We deserve the punishment of hell. We deserve punishment for our actions. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is we deserve punishment for our actions, but through the goodness and grace of our almighty God and Father, he gave his son who knew no sin to pay the price for our sins. And then he offered forgiveness. He offered salvation for free. And he says, you are invited to take that and to live in the fullness of my grace. Paul tells us that his grace is sufficient to meet all of our needs according to his glorious riches. We have to be willing to accept the grace of God. But right now, some of us say, I'm not worthy. I couldn't possibly. You don't understand. It's too difficult. The wounds are too deep. And we make excuses and we begin to sound more like a Limelech or Naomi. And we try to fix ourselves apart from the grace of God. And it doesn't work. God says, here I am. I'm ready to take you on and I'm ready to love you. And I'm ready to provide a way and a meaning and a hope and a life for you that is more than you could ever ask or imagine if you would but walk by faith and accept the free gift of grace that I offer you. Grace that says your sin, your mistakes don't define you. My love, my grace defines you. My grace is your identity. My perfection is your name. My holiness is who you are. Because you're part of my family. But we have to be willing to let go of that shame that we hold on so tightly to. And that can be difficult. We've gotten used to the shame. Maybe we even hold on to it because it helps us feel sorry for ourselves. And I'm sorry to speak that bluntly. But if we let go of it, then we'd have to move forward. And that can be scary. And then we come back to walking by faith. (laughs) There's the other side of the coin too with accepting grace is that side of judgment. How dare God make me choose between what's right and what I want? How dare God tell me that he knows better than I do what's best for my life? How dare God put me in this position? That's not fair. I want it my way. I know we don't do that out loud. But don't we sound like that to God sometimes? And he says, I got this. I figured out how to turn a Moabite woman that nobody ever heard of into the matrilineal line of the Messiah that saves the world and conquers sin and death once for all. I dare you to try me. (laughs) That's who God is. He says your struggles, he says your judgment of feeling judged isn't sufficient to get you through whatever you're struggling with. My holiness, my righteousness that was imputed to you through Jesus Christ, is sufficient. I am enough. Would you but trust me? Ruth stepped out into a field, not knowing whose it was, and look at what God did. Ruth... Grandmother of David. David. King David. A man after God's own heart of whom the Messiah would come. <laughs> Ruth. Who's Ruth? Ruth was a woman that followed where God led and let God write her love story. <laughs> and his, and she knew that she had to abide by grace because we we sometimes feel judged if we have to accept the handouts or the care of others don't we or if we have to wait on god to do things his way because i need it now ruth doesn't the the book of ruth doesn't teach us that the book of ruth teaches us that ruth waited she went she gleaned and god provided miraculously the story continues though because not only Did Ruth have to learn to live in the moment God had placed her in and accept who she was and then move forward by faith and accept the grace that had been offered through Boaz? But in verse 14, we realize that Boaz then looks to her and he says to her, come over here. Have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. If you'd read earlier, you realize also that Ruth was a hardworking woman. She didn't stop. She kept on working. She kept on going. This was a woman that everybody noticed, not just because she was a good woman, which she was, but she was a hard worker. And she wouldn't stop. She was providing for her family. her In one sense, her adopted, married into family. And she cared deeply and she kept going. And Boaz says, hey, 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 come here. You deserve her. I want to feed you. And from his own plate, from his own table, he takes and gives her some bread to dip in wine vinegar. That doesn't taste, sound very good to me, but back then it was amazing. And again, Ruth saw the provision, the protection of God. And when she sat down, she sat down with the people of Boaz, with the harvesters. And he offered her the roasted grain. And she ate all she wanted. And what's it say next? Next? She had some left over. Interesting side note, there was a group of people listening to a really good teacher in the New Testament. They started to get hungry because the teacher had gone long. I'm not going to do that today. And the disciples of this teacher uh, came up to him and said, what do we do? He said, bring me what you have, five loaves and two fish. So the five loaves and the two fish come and they sit down, they say that and... That's not a lot of food, probably small fish. It was from the Sea of Galilee, most likely. So little fish, 5,000 men, not going to be enough. God had other plans. My grace is sufficient to meet all your needs according to his glorious riches. And you know what happened to those 5,000 plus the women and children that were there? They had leftovers. Any of you ever eat leftovers? You know, you come back, you have a good dinner, then you bring it home and you have it the next day. That's awesome. Leftovers can be a great thing. Especially right now, it's American Thanksgiving in a couple of weeks. Melissa picked on me because last year we made too much turkey, which you can't really do. There's always... Turkey's good But for the next two weeks I had turkey sandwich I had turkey breakfast I had turkey everything And it was awesome And then I haven't had turkey again since So that when this year comes I'm ready for more turkey But you get the idea We had leftovers And it was great Well here Ruth Who had known hunger Who knows what that 50 mile journey From Moab back to Bethlehem Was like for her But she's hungry We know that And God feeds her through Boaz, not just what was enough, but more than she could have imagined. She went to work to hopefully have enough scraps to feed her mother-in-law. And God gave her out of the abundance and he said, hey, lift up and I got more for you. And interestingly, we see that God can be trusted with all of our needs. Here's that verse, and my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And again, I want to remind us of why these things happen. It's not for us alone, but it's for his glory. You may be going through difficult times and the question will be posed to you, whose glory, comfort, and joy are you seeking? Yours or the Lord's? If we're seeking ourselves, we're going to complain to God about how not fair it is. And we're going to fight with him about what truly is righteous and acceptable in today's world. And we're going to begin to move that line we talked about last week. If we want to look at the truth of Ruth and learn that the sovereign God is worthy to be trusted in any and all situation, it gives us hope that while there are terrorists out there killing people saying the war is just starting... That we beg Jesus to come, but in the meantime, we beg him to put us in the front lines and point people to Jesus Christ, giving them the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And that the glory should go to him, not to ourselves. This year, or this time of year, every year is bittersweet for me. One, because it marks in my life that I've gotten a little bit older. Um, But two, it marks that I continue to mourn the loss of a dear loved youth group member five years ago. He wasn't in youth group at this point, but David uh, Rayner passed away uh, this time ago, five years ago. He would be 26 now. And I have often wrestled with, not that I had continued to keep in great touch with him. He was studying at Belfast Bible College. But I... I often thought, God, why take away such a devoted saint of yours? And that's been a question that I have physically and spiritually wrestled with in my mind and in my heart because David had everything going for him. He was smart. He was caring. You just watched him and he loved people and he loved you no matter who you were. And he still does. But God chose to heal him by bringing him home. But I remember being in Cardiff Wondering what a funeral for a 21-year-old saint would be like. And while, yes, there was sadness because we lost a loved one, there was joy because God was honored and glorified in the celebration of the life of David. And even in the most difficult of situations, God was honored. And so, by happenstance, there is no surprise, but I got to have lunch Uh, earlier this week with David's dad who happened to be back in town. And we shared about a lot of things. And five years on, his family continues to grow and follow the Lord and celebrate the life of David. Does that mean they don't miss him? Absolutely not. There's not a day goes by that that family does not miss their son and their brother. But they cling to him, cling to the Lord, knowing that God was glorified in how they celebrate and further the life that God has called them to. I was even told that the church that uh, my friend is now attending uh, with his wife, when they get to prayer meeting, he says, I don't know why, but there's more than a hundred that show up every Wednesday night for prayer meeting. He said, you should get people like that at AIC. And I said, I know. But it's the ministry of prayer and they're involved in ministry. They didn't look at the circumstances and say, woe is me, this is too much to bear. They mourn. They continue to mourn, but they point people back to the person of Jesus Christ in any situation. Ruth could have been like Mara, like Naomi, and said, woe is me, this isn't fair. But instead, she stepped out and she sought to let the Lord provide, and he was able to be trusted. Then finally, the Lord bless him, Naomi says. She has gone from bitterness to blessing in just one chapter. She now sees what Ruth seemingly already knew, that God could be trust- trusted. And then she adds, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. In Leverett, in Hebrew law, he is one that could possibly take care of us. And God puts you two together. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? That the woman who just a few verses before is crying out, basically, end my life, this is hopeless, is now saying, blessed is that man. There's hope. There's blessedness. There's great joy. Let us rejoice because we found a kinsman redeemer in most of your translations one that will take care of us. Isn't it amazing how God provides? Maybe you're more like Naomi today and you need to learn this lesson that our redeemer lives. But if you found yourself acting like a Naomi, don't think for a second that God cannot redeem your situation because Naomi in just a few verses has moved from bitterness to blessing. (laughs) Can we? Injustice is happening in the world. I get that. I don't get it, but I see it. But would we move from a place of crying out, woe is me, to crying out to God, God, help us, God, come back. But in the meantime, use me because you have redeemed my life for such a time as this. Remember what the question Esther was asked, another wonderful woman of the Bible. Who knows, but God might have you here for such a time as this. Our Redeemer is alive. He went to the cross and died for our sins and rose victoriously that sin would lose its sting and death would have no more power over us. So that when we go out into a hostile world, we go out proclaiming, Blessed be our Redeemer. He's alive. His grace is enough. I trust in him and I will walk by faith. I pray that our security blanket would not be like Linus, a thumb and a blankie, but would be in the reliance upon the Holy Spirit and the fullness of the presence of God with us every moment of every day. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you miraculously provided for Ruth, Naomi, the people of Israel, and your whole world through a Moabite. We don't deserve your grace, yet you have offered it. May we live in your grace and give it away just as you have given it to us. In your name I pray, amen.